Doing it live on a Wednesday this week. Bo Bishop in the Hudson area, Johnny Ginter in the Columbus area. Welcome in. Um, by the way, us now when I say doing it live, we're the you know because Bill O's gone. Yeah, <laughs> we got to carry the torch. He's he's done. He's gone. Yeah. So like, it's just us, you know. So we got to keep doing it. You know, we're doing it live. Uh, we'll keep it moving a little bit here. Um, we we, uh, we delayed this show. A day because we knew that Ramsey was writing this story that I found uh, you and I both found very interesting. So we're going to have Ramsey on um, in about 20, 25, uh, 15, 20 minutes or, or so. And and we're going to talk about the column he did on the on the site, which I thought was a, a really good one of generating conversation. So you have that to look forward to, which is nice. I'll also give our, my thoughts on the ESPN layoffs, because there's a, a part of that that isn't being discussed too much at this point that's going to affect a lot of people. So we'll get to that. Uh, towards the end uh, of the podcast as well. Um, one of the things that we didn't know would, would happen when we pushed the pod back a day was uh, the Gary and Connolly stuff coming to uh, fruition. And so let's start there. The NFL draft is Thursday. Uh, the, yep. the Ohio State will likely, would have likely had three first round defensive backs. I don't think Connolly will go in the first round anymore. Um, I think that this will take him out of it, justly or not. It's hard for me to say and really impossible for, for, for me to say most of the time when this type of things happens and I've talked to plenty of cops uh, you'll remember the storm Klein incident um, there were others um, that I covered at Ohio State and also at Florida State in Florida and um, the, these athlete versus the Jameis Winston one is the most famous um, the, these athlete versus um, you know females domestic violence rape things are are just nearly impossible for the police to prove um, it, it takes a very courageous woman um, to be humiliated over and over and over again in court uh, to, for these to come to fruition. I, I have no idea if if Gary and Connolly did anything wrong or not um, in terms of in terms of something criminal. Uh, he put himself in a really stupid position. I think we can all acknowledge that, um, and it's going to cost him a lot of money. And so my guess is his family is devastated by this. He's devastated by this. Um, and this won't be over this week. Uh, this will be something that will linger for a while, depending on um, the young lady and and what what the truth is for her and how and how long that she decides for this to play out, because she she will be the catalyst in this. Whether this happened or not, um, she will be the one who determines how long that this goes. Um, what, what's kind of your read on it from afar? I mean, what bothers me a little bit is because. It's not so much that, you know, the accusation, obviously that's terrible. And, and I, I can't really comment on that because I don't really, I don't know what happened. The only people who know what happened are the yep. people in that room. Um, but what bothers me a little bit is when this becomes so sensationalized and such a big part of the media news cycle. Like this is, this is a pretty terrible thing that he's been accused of. That's and right. for me to be thinking about, you know, his agent on the phone, probably like with him, like immediately after all this stuff came out and, you know, NFL teams asking questions and texting and stuff, it just becomes, it takes something that's so incredibly serious and -hmm. it turns it almost into a circus. And that is what bothers me a lot. And, you know, well, the whole thing with the, you know, the Cleveland police and, and, you know, yeah. seeming like, you know, it feels like they weren't being as forthright as maybe they should have been. There's been no charges filed, all this other stuff. Like, it just feels like it's not taken seriously. It becomes this story. And I don't think that that's what something like something with this kind of gravity deserves. I think it deserves more of a sober look at it. And I don't think you're ever going to get that given the, you know, what's happening around it. No, given the stakes. I mean, I think since Duke lacrosse, 
um, since that that was the first one where where somebody went, you know, where the accused or the accuser went really to the ropes, um, and then you know it was all for naught, and right. um, and it was a big lie, um, and so that was the first one where you started to say, okay, wait a second, like how far can we go down the road with this thing? Yeah. Um, that, that proved the other side of it. There are uh, Johnny, there are off the top of my head, I can think of dozens of college athletes who have done what Gary and Connolly is accused of. Mm-hmm. Um, and in a couple of cases worse and gotten away, scot free walked, yeah. no repercussions. Uh, this is the type of thing that is covered up and made to go away a lot in, in big time athletics. It's probably stuff that's made to go away a lot in any position of power in society. If you're a successful businessman, you do something like this, it's probably made to go away. If you have power and you screw up there, you have greater reach to make it go away. It's as simple as that. Yeah. I'm with you. It's impossible for me. It's, it's up. It's those are the people who know him and her. That's it. Nobody else has. And whoever else was in that room. Um, nobody else has anything at the very least though. Um, if, if this is, if it is true, then he gets everything that, that is coming his way. If it's not true, um, himself, he, he learned a very val, very valuable and costly lesson of how to behave in the lead up to what will be the most important, uh, day of his life. Um, to this point and, um, and others should, should pay attention to that because these kids walk around bulletproof and they think that they can do anything that they want and their coaches and us and the fans, all of us, we, we help create this uh, mythology of them. And, and the reality is it can come crashing down like in a snap of a finger. And yeah, I mean the, the best protection, I think that any high profile athlete going into the NFL draft can give themselves is to basically just sit alone at home and do nothing for yeah, for like and I know that and, and to to say that to tell a kid right out of college that you basically have to become a monk you know yep. in the lead up to that's a hard thing to tell someone you but it's what you got to do I mean when you're talking about you know something that could potentially net you tens of millions of dollars over a very short period of time it's you've got to change your mentality on that. And it's hard. Like I can't imagine being in that situation. So it's really easy for me to sit here, you know, in an apartment, you know, (laughs) making a high school teacher's salary and be like, yeah, just cool it kid. Like it's going to be fine. Um, but But that's comes, you got to do it. Johnny, you've seen these kids and and I saw them year year in and year out. They would, they would play their, look, these kids, they, you know, in many cases they come from, um, especially when I was in the South, they come from difficult situations and they land on campus. Okay. So then there's a certain amount of bulletproof walk on water that comes with that, right? There's all the Nike gear. You're a Buckeye. You're walking around campus, chest puffed. I get away with certain things. I'm on the football team. So that lasts for three years if you're really, really good. And then after that is another level of bulletproof (laughs) that most of us can't even wrap our heads around. And I've seen so many good kids or who kids who I perceive to be good take turns for the worst as soon as that moment happens. Um, and it's, it's hard to see because I, you know, it, it, go, it does go to their head and it's, it's hard at the same time though. I wasn't when I think back to when I was 21 and if somebody would have given me that type of money and that type of power, what would I have done with it? It would have been, I would have been dangerous with it. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I absolutely would have been. Um, this is a lot to heap on a very, on very young people. And you, you hope you raise them right. Um, I don't know how this is going to turn out. As I mentioned, this will be in really in the accuser's court. Um, whether whether this happened or not, it'll be in her court. She'll determine how far this this goes. 
and um, and how much it affects him. But I would be shocked if come Thursday he is his name is selected because this is a very serious allegation. Yeah, I just I don't know what the solution is when you have like I was just kind of thinking this in like a, a macro sense, but when you're a news organization when you're trying mm-hmm. to report on things. Yeah. Where is the line? And, and, and you know, we saw kind of how it was handled initially where, you know, you've got a report but not a name and then people yeah. are speculating and stuff. And that really does not sit well with me at all. Because No, that's reckless. Either for the person who is doing the accusing or the person who might be accused. That's such a, like I said, a seedy, unseemly way to handle that. And that just bothers me a lot because it's such yeah. a serious accusation. And then once the name actually comes out. People are like, oh well, we're gonna we're gonna try to either justify, you know, defending the kid or going after the kid. It just, it's I ugly. Don't, it's ugly, and it's hard to handle because you have such a close association with someone uh, through a football team or through an athletic team, and you want to be able to root for them. So you've got that natural impulse, but on the same hand, you've got to be able to report it honestly. And to me, I don't know that. I mean, I think we did a good job. I don't love words. I think we were very good at being even-handed about it. We didn't sensationalize it. I think we did a good job with it. But I think that's such a hard thing for a news outlet that focuses primarily on sports to do because there is that impulse to sensationalize. And you saw that with, you know... With Cleveland news organizations okay. that were not even okay. connected to sports. I, I was just going to tell you, if you, tried, if you saw what Channel 19 did up here that's what on I'm this saying, story, that is, that is a joke, right. what they did. They put that clown Carl Monday in a in a he's in a stupid trench coat yeah. walking around sensationalizing this. Like right. these are young people and serious accusations. They did a story about how he couldn't get the name. I mean, like it was such a farce. And I'm glad it went viral and and they were, you know, pointed out for the clown ship that they are. Uh, and they are a clown show up here. Nobody up here respects 19. Nobody. Um, and and so um, that they, they get what they deserve on that. And I, I think what you mentioned about 11 words is why the site has the reputation it does. Um, because led by the czar, I mean, Jason is at the, at the top of the, the masthead and, um, and the czar, he, you guys have done a great job of, of getting the information out and being, I think, look, it's a fan site. I get it. Everybody's a Buckeye fan. It, it, we, everybody knows that, but when it comes time to do hard news, you have a good handle on that too. And, and in often cases, and certainly was the case with this, uh, a better handle on it than, than what many would view as a legitimate news organization. Yeah. And it's just, you're absolutely right about the 19 stuff. I mean, that was probably show. Our, our immediate reaction to that was, was pretty much anger because it doesn't, like I said, it doesn't do service to anybody but them. And it doesn't help the vic, you know, person who might be a victim, doesn't help the person who's being accused. It just, you know, it was kind of like just for your own ego or for your own satisfaction as a it's news. It's for ratings. Person. It's yeah. for, it's about ratings. They right. were, they they said find out at eleven who it is. Like what? A, are you kidding me with yeah. rape accusations? Yeah, that's that's it's just you're Gross. right. Gross, and that's why they have no respect. I mean, that's um, you know there are people up here. You know, Fox Eight wins up here. They're the Channel Ten of the market, and then it's or what Channel Ten used to be. I don't know what Channel Ten is now, but what it used to be. Um, so Fox Eight wins, and then three and five have their fans, but nineteen. Um, yeah, it's just the way that they go about their business. It was, yeah, it was shameful. So yeah. it, look, I, I don't know you, who knows. It'd be, be ridiculous to sit here and try and figure out how this thing's going to go for him. I, ju- I hope somehow the truth comes out. That's it. Now, either way. I mean, I don't know Gary and well enough, uh, to, I would certainly never, I wouldn't vouch. There are kids. I do know Johnny who have done stuff and 
I don't vouch for any of these dudes because you just don't know um, right. what what can happen when they're not around us and and when they're when they're in private. So, um, I, I, in the again, I just hope that the truth does come out one way or another on it. Yeah, completely agree on that. All right, before we get to Ramsey, I want to get to one more thing. This was something that you and I talked about a couple of weeks ago, and that was Thad Mata and the basketball program being allowed <laughs> to continue status quo, um, that there would be no changes in the coaching staff, that in other words, we're just going to roll the ball out and we're going to run it back. And yeah. in the last week, <laughs> Cam Williams, Trevor Thompson, both go pro. Cam Williams goes pro? <laughs> like, I well, mean, is, I mean, there, is there great money in Hungary? I mean, yeah, like, I mean, that's one of those. Where tests the hell the is he going to play? I guess, but South Korea. I mean, is there yeah. money in that? Can you make? Can like that dude make forty-two grand a year in South Korea? I have no idea. I would think that there would be players far more accomplished than him who couldn't break through. I mean, I think of like John Diebler, who's playing at the high end of Europe. Yeah, Cam Williams ain't John Diebler. <laughs> <laughs> you know, he ain't Scooney Penn, who was great in Europe for a lot of years. I mean, he just right. that's shocking, but it probably tells you more about the program than anything else. And then the big news today, even bigger than those two, in my opinion, was uh, the decommitment of, of Darius Baisley, uh, the number one high school player in the state of Ohio for 2018, um, leaving just two commitments for Ohio State. One of them, Dane Goodwin, the Upper Arlington kid, who's a nice player. But this Baisley kid was he was the number one player in the state of Ohio. This was kind of the rallying point. And he says Ohio State's still being considered. But I have never seen a kid decommit <laughs> from a school and then go back to that school in the end. So right. my guess is he ends up at Kansas, Kentucky, Indiana, or something like that. Uh, but this is a major blow. And it, it leads me to believe that the basketball program, even more than I already did, is dead man walking. Yeah. I mean, I mean, that's exactly the point I was about to make. Somebody decommits from a school and then says, I'm keeping my options open. They're not going back to the school that they decommitted from. Uh, I, and honestly, it's a good move on his part. Like, I, I mean, I've, I think he sees the writing on the wall just as much as anyone else does. And I really doubt that they're going to, you know, do something to entice him back. I, I don't, I don't think the no. program's going to change substantively. So, I mean, I get it. And, and really you're right. I mean, it's, it's a point where, I think a lot of players are starting to see what's going to happen next year, and they're trying to make decisions based on that. And that's not a bad metric to go by because the idea of you know trying to hang around for thirty some games while the team looks bad and you look bad because the team looks bad and the program looks directionless—that's not appealing to a lot of kids, especially mm-hmm. if you've already put in your dues in the program. So I I totally get it. No, it's a it's a bad. Uh, the the whispers are going to be out. I mean, this is going to be. This is my worst fear is, is I believe going to happen. It feels like that, that we will have an ugly end to a, to what had otherwise been a tremendous era and, and really the golden era. I think of, I know, you know, Fred Taylor and way, way back in the sixties, but nobody, that was a different world then. Um, and you know, for, for almost everybody who's an Ohio state fan, they remember, uh, Odin Connolly, Sullinger, Diebler, uh, Evan Turner, they remember Wild Bill Buford. They remember all the Deshaun Thomas, Aaron Kraft. I mean, all those guys. Those guys res- will resonate. Mike Connolly, they'll resonate forever. Um, and and that part, you know, even D'Angelo, that that run it will will go down. I mean, that will go down in history as as the golden era, in my opinion, of Ohio State men's basketball. So it's going to end pretty rudderless, uh, I fear, next year, and um, and that will be an ugly. That'll be ugly, and I, I don't. I do not envy at all the people who have to cover that on a daily basis because that is a good man. And I just don't, I look at the roster and what's coming in and who's returning. And I see no way that they can be any better than they were this year. 
And now with this, I see no reason to believe that the 2018 class is any sort of savior. No. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if that happens, I think that would be probably the underdog story of the year. But yeah. uh, agreed. Yeah, I don't I don't see that happening. All right. So that those were both uh, kind of downers. But Ramsey had a fun piece this week, and this was the reason we did this on Wednesday to begin with. So let's bring him on. Yeah, sounds good. Let's do it. And so we bring on Ramsey, who uh, has he and I have several things in common, including our, our love of whiskey. And I'll ask him about that later. And the fact that we uh, live in suburbia and have kids. Uh, and, and also, um, I, one of the things I've always admired about you is your writing. And I admire the way that you think about things that I haven't thought of already. And we're into that time of year where um, when, when you uh, operate a site like 11 Warriors or we're in the business that I was in previously and you need things to talk about. And so you try to come up with things. And I, had, I have not done this one yet. The one you did uh, today on the site, the exit row is the name of the column. And, and basically what it is, I encourage you all to read it. Most of you probably already have. If you haven't, I encourage you to. Um, but it's what if, basically. If, a bunch, if, if five guys, what if it had worked out? What if they would have got to finish their career? Uh, you have Ewan Price, who's, who's number five on that list, who never played a down at Ohio State. Um, three of these guys really resonate with me. Terrell Pryor obviously does the most because I was just all over that um, in my time in Columbus. You had him number four. Uh, you had Noah Spence, uh, who we will talk about all these guys. Number, Noah Spence, number three. Jeremy Cash, who I honestly had forgotten, um, oddly enough, just to totally, totally slip my mind that he ever even, even had a jersey. And the number one, Maurice Claret. So let's start, Ramsey, at the beginning, and that is, uh, how, how, with all that you have going on, do you come up with this angle? <laughs> um, this is like, you, like you alluded to earlier, Bo, this is the, what I call the leg stretching part of, of the editorial calendar where <laughs> right. for, for those of us old suburbanite, um, whiskey drinking dads, we don't really follow recruiting all that much. Yeah. You, you really, you, you rely on history and, and I, I just kind of chase my brain where it's going and. The, the way that this article started uh, is from a kid that's not even in the article. I was thinking about Torrance Gibson mm-hmm. and how this – I mean, every, every recruit has a backstory. And Torrance Gibson was supposed to be the Cam Newton that didn't end up stealing a laptop and transferring to Auburn for Urban Meyer. <laughs> and it didn't even begin – I mean, the parallels were off the track from the outset. He was moved to zone six. Uh, he didn't play freshman year. They were, the news that you heard about him wasn't always great. It was the, the kid who was great in high school and not being able to see the field. And now he's in Cincinnati, and I was thinking about that. And, uh, you know, every, when you're stretching your legs in the offseason, like, how can I write about Torrance Gibson? He never really played. Um, it, it ended up being, like, should this be a – what could have been? Is it going to be Cam Newton for Luke Fickle in Cincinnati? And then for some reason I started thinking about Jefferson Kelly, who was going to be the next Orlando Pace that John Cooper brought in and just – they were going to continue that, that lineage of having a top three Corey Stringer pace, Jefferson Kelly type of offensive lineman. And people listening to this podcast probably don't remember Jefferson Kelly, but I don't think his knees worked and he never saw the field. And because those two guys didn't really give me any content, I was just wrestling around in my head. I think I might've been at the gym. I thought about, and I'd gotten a text from, I talked to Claret all the time and he didn't finish his career the way that it was supposed to. I mean, that is the ultimate, uh, fallen hero type of uh, story for a college football player. And that's where I ended up on, on my topic. Like what would have happened? Not only which guys didn't have the fairy tale ending that you would, would have thought as they came into Ohio state, they were destined to have, but also the sliding doors uh, thing, what would have happened had they stayed? 
so for some of these, it's um, it's a little bit easier. I mean, I started off by talking about Zeke Elliott. I don't think anyone's going to argue with his triumph as a sophomore. Um, we, we don't need to go down the rabbit hole of what happened with the, the 2015 season. Um, he had a fairy tale ending. He, you know, he, he got to the Dallas Cowboys, and he's, I think, at the best-selling jersey in, in football. But when you yeah. get to the, the meat of what we were talking about, um, he won Price specifically. He, he, to me, that's like Dat Gwen. He's like this heartbeat of the pit defense, undersized, all over the field. Um, someone that NFL uh, personnel, they can't really look away from, even though he doesn't have – I think he's just a shade taller than me. I'm 5'9". Um, that, that's a guy they have to look at, even though he misses some of the metrics. And I just wonder what would have happened. Um, not only – he wouldn't have played till 2016 like he did with Pitt. He, he ended up being out for two seasons and got a – a sixth year, but what he could have contributed to the back seven in 2013, what he could have contributed to the culture of the team as it started to bottom out in 2011. I don't think we lose out on Urban Meyer, uh, but I just think that's one of those program guys that you end up thinking about years after the fact, and that's that's who Pitt got. I think he's he's fourth in Pitt history in either tackles or sacks. So, so he, he's a historic Pitt player, and right. Pitt is a historic football program. Just you know, they took a couple decades off. Right. Um, I included Terrell Pryor, not because he transferred anywhere, but because, I mean, so he, if Ohio State wins the Fiesta Bowl his freshman year, which they, they really should have, you could argue he, he might have been the, the MVP of that game. So Fiesta, they, they win the Rose Bowl his sophomore year. They win the Sugar Bowl his junior year. <laughs> he, he, he had a chance to be the, the MVP of all four BCS Bowls in college. And he was the fastest player on the team. He was the biggest mismatch I've ever seen for Ohio State outside of Orlando Pace and maybe Dan uh, Wilkinson, um, where every play he was he had the advantage. And because of how he went out, because of how it ended, there are some people who hate Terrell Pryor today. One of the yeah. best, most talented athletes Ohio State's ever seen. And if you look at the, the, the later travel years, ultimately to the last one, he won games for them by himself. He won that Iowa game in Iowa City. Uh, on his own, and then by the way, Herb Street ripped him on the on, on the game day after that for for being a me first type right. of player. He is, he is so the way he's thought of versus the way he produced. I, I know that he was not great in the locker room, but I've never heard him say anything negative about Ohio State. And um, he's not, I mean the, the the happy ending for him one year eight million dollar contract. Who among us wouldn't take that to do pretty much anything yeah. in 2017? Yeah. Uh, Noah and all these guys that I chose, and there were there were some that I that didn't make the the list. Noah Spence, um, what do you think happens in 2014 if Noah Spence is on the other side of the line from Joey Bosa instead of Steve Miller and uh, Frazier who transferred from Purdue? Well, what, what do you think that is, line looks like? <laughs> it, well, what what happens is you know how you, how people can still name like the 2000 2001 University of Miami defense, like the yeah. secondary, and you go, oh yeah, they had Ed Reed, Sean Taylor, Antrell Roll, Mike Rump. Uh, it, that that's what happens. Like if you have Sean, if right. you have Noah Spence, that's what happens. It's it's a generational. It was a great defense. It was a generational defense. If you have Noah Spence opposite Joey Bosa, I mean from a yeah, I, from a what I and that's the one that one to me because this was that was the most shocking of, of all of them. Um, in in terms of the way that it how he just disappeared off. The, I mean, I'll never forget meeting Urban Meyer at the Orange Bowl, getting off the 747. And I asked Urban point blank because I'd heard the rumors. I said, did everybody make the trip? And Urban said, yes, 
And then the next question, I believe, was from Tim May. And Tim May goes, oh, oh what, what, about, what about Noah Spence? <laughs> and, and Urban goes, Urban goes, Urban goes uh, 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 we'll, we'll have to see about that. Um, so, <laughs> like, we literally caught Urban in a bold-faced lie. But it was, uh, you, can, you know, you laugh at it now. But, I mean, obviously a very serious situation with him where he, could, he got in over his head. Uh, but this was a kid, the, the background on him, everything checked out to where he was He was a program. The most important recruit of Urban Meyer's tenure was Noah Spence, the most important. When he got him, it all changed. And and he should have been a three. He should have been on that national championship team opposite Bosa. That was the way it was set up. Um, mm-hmm. That's the one that's most close to me, I guess. I would yeah, say he, the thing about he's academic all. He's a first. He's a first round draft pick, academic all American program guy from the outset. He got addicted to ecstasy. Right. Crazy. Well, that's the thing that I wanted to talk or ask you about, or I guess just bring up anyway. But the fact that he was able to talk about that and go into the reasons why he needed to transfer and all this other stuff. That to me speaks a lot about like when he when that came out and when he was talking about it and it became like something that they would you know do articles on and all this other stuff. I was like, I feel like this is a dude who's going to make the NFL. Like if you can own up to that and say like, all right, I know I'm basically an exile here, but I need to like I still have a goal of getting to the NFL. Like to me, that just felt like a dude who was obviously going to eventually get back on track and, and do what he needed to do to get to the league. Like he didn't have an incredible you know, rookie season, but the dude is the fact that he's in the NFL after, you know, kind of in a lot of Ohio state fans eyes bombing out. I, I just, I think that's really impressive. But Bosa has sort of changed what you can do as a rookie missing four games and then piling up the yeah. sacks and tackles that he had. Noah Spence had five and a half sacks with the Buccaneers. Um, he's, he's not going anywhere. That's yeah, right. He's, he's going to be in the league. You know, that, that's a, that's a seven year starter uh, right now. That's the trajectory. And uh, one thing I noticed when I was writing up the part about Spence, um, his, his highlights for, for Tampa last season, on one play, his, his arm completely popped out of the socket, and he didn't make right. the play. He, he put it back in himself and, <laughs> and finished the series. That's crazy. I mean, I know that ecstasy can't help you do that. That's a completely different kind of you know, drug. But, <laughs> but, my God, the, the guy, that's, that's the sort of beastly kind of thing you, you, you hear about from a defensive end, and you're like, of course, Noah Spence is an alien. Of, of course, course you can do that, that yeah. Ramsey, did yeah, it strike um, you the um, the similarities between Terrell Pryor and Maurice Claret in terms of um, uh, I was much more closer to Pryor uh, in that I covered the team day to day at that point, but then I, w- I wasn't here for Claret, but got to know Maurice a little bit through Roy Hall later on when he came back to Columbus yeah. and kind of got his life uh, figured out. Um, but the similarities between the two of uh, two kids from from tough spots where they came from uh, who Trestle you know put under his wing and then gave the keys to the kingdom to. Um, and in, I can speak to Terrell and I, I assume everything I've read and been told about Claret that this would be true too, that we're enabled to a great degree. Um, we're held to a different set of rules and standards than anybody else on the team. And in the case of Pryor, even, you know, captains and all Americans Pryor was treated different even than them. Um, in, in a way, did, a, did, did, did the parallels ring true for you on those two in, in the way that, cause they're the two biggest recruits in Ohio state in you know, the last 25 years. I mean, Terrell Pryor, as you referenced in the story, was LeBron James of, of, of high school football. And Maurice Claret was many people up here in Northeast Ohio swear Maurice Claret's the best high school football player they've ever seen. And they've had a few up here. Yeah. I'd say the parallels are, are true up until they got to campus. Um, and then they start to spread apart. Well, obviously, you know, Pryor lasted longer than, than one year. And for yeah. you know, full disclosure, I don't know Terrell Pryor at all. Uh, I, I wrote a lot yeah. about him. 
I know Maurice Claret like really well. Like I talk to him yeah. regularly. So um, it, it's very difficult for me to make a comparison to someone that, you know, I pick up the phone and talk to any day of the week versus yeah. a guy I watched on TV. Um, Claret went to 10 funerals of people that are about his age before he got to Ohio State. Jesus. I, have, I, I might be, I'm 43. I maybe have been to 10 funerals in my life. Um, yeah. what, what he was exposed to in Jeanette, Pennsylvania is not the best place in the world. I empathize with both of those guys uh, getting to Ohio State and, and basically finding Shangri-La, the, mm-hmm. the attributes, the, the contributions that they brought to Ohio State, and ultimately what, what they were handed and both took. Um, I have empathy for that. The, where, where they start to separate is not just that, you know, Claret ended up getting, getting a fourth round phone call from, from the Broncos and was drinking. Um, <laughs> he, he, yeah. he was off the rails and it was, it was more similar to, to, to Spence in the substance abuse category, but that's where he went awry. He also got mixed up with, with the wrong people with, with prior, it was from the neck up. He got really self-inflicted. He wasn't surrounded by bad sorts as much as it was. He was making bad, bad choices on his own. And that's where he, he played for like a third of the NFL um, yeah. before finally, you know, getting it, it. It took him a while to put together, hey, if I actually try, I'm the best guy in the field. Mm-hmm. I'm Terrell Pryor uh, at any position. Um, and, and that's where I think he's at now. And it's still why the Redskins only gave him a, a one-year deal, sure only a one-year deal for only $8 million. They're, they're not going to – no one's going to hitch their wagon to him for, for a terribly long period of time because of what he did, the self-inflicted um, personality stuff that, that's gone around the league. And I, and I heard some pretty insane stories about the first time he was with the Browns and some of the stuff he did with the, with the Kansas City Chiefs, the second hand, um, mm-hmm. that, yeah, I can, there's some red flags there. But, you know, them coming into Ohio State, who's the third biggest recruit of recent history with, with Ohio State? It's Beanie Wells. And, I mean, he had a boring, fun career with Ohio State. <laughs> they, it's from from yeah. Akron, too. It's, it's, it's uh, I, I, have a, I don't want to, create a, a cautionary tale for the next number one recruit that comes to Ohio state that came from a rough background. Cause he exists. I don't know if he's 12 or born yet, but that's going to happen. Um, the way that Claret and, and prior both went South and then triumphed in their own ways. And that's kind of how I end the piece with him. Um, I like that they both came out clean on the other side. And both were great, great as Ohio state football players. I mean, yes, they were both great. I, I I'm with you on your points on prior in that, Whatever you think of him, um, he's a two-time BCS game MVP. Um, that's who he is. If he plays his senior year, he owns the Ohio State record book. He does so in an offense that never – I don't even know if what you would call what they did offensively at that time um, with Nick <laughs> Siciliano as the quarterback coach. I mean, that's <laughs> – he did everything despite what the position that they put him in on the football field. Um, so I'm one of the people who really appreciates who he was, and I also think that they created – uh, the animal. I mean, I think they created it, what he became by allowing him to run amok when he first got on campus. Totally agree. The uh, but the, the the Sandlot football, which is which is what it was under in, in 2011, because they didn't they didn't know what they were doing. Uh, no. That went from the the Joe Bowserman show to the Braxton Miller show. I mean, imagine imagine if when Terrell Pryor agreed to come to Ohio State. He agreed to come to Ohio State because he saw well, first of all, Trestle, master recruiter. Mm-hmm. Um, but second, he saw what Joe Daniels did with Troy Smith. That's right. And when Troy Smith won the Heisman, he if he went up on stage, and I don't know how well you remember the um, the, the speech, which, by the way, 
side note, I always get distracted. Uh, while he was giving the speech for the Heisman, Rob Gronkowski was in Columbus on his recruiting visit and watched it. And everyone thought, oh, Gronk, <laughs> Gronk's watching a Heisman winner. He's on campus. Gronk is totally coming to Ohio State, and then he ends up you know, going to Arizona. The, um, <laughs> but so, so, so Terrell Pryor came to be a taller, more gifted, freakish version of Troy Smith, who really didn't have extraordinary arm strength, um, speed, juke, nothing. He, he was a very strong alpha quarterback who had a good arm but was moldable, and that was because of Joe Daniels. And Terrell Pryor saw that. And he got coached by Ohio State's barista, and he still did what he did. I just felt it was always like when they had him, it was like they went and bought a Ferrari, and they went on a gravel road and drove in first gear. <laughs> and just said, let's see. Well, yeah, but we have a Ferrari. Okay, great. I'm telling you, man, but 39 – when, when, when the pocket collapses, if, if Shugarts didn't fall start on the play prior and it wasn't third and 14, he hits that angle towards the marker and he outraces That's right. everybody first and 10. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. No, Freak it's, show. it's, it's a, it's, it's, it was, it was crazy. The, uh, oh, the one guy we skipped was, uh, was Jeremy Cash, who I don't want to, yeah. I don't want to overlook him because he, in the, in the piece that, uh, exit row, I put in his video that he, he gave a, an interview that's on YouTube still, and I embedded it, about what it meant to come to Ohio State, why he came to Ohio State. This is a guy who ended up being the ACC's Defensive Player of the Year. He was Duke's most valuable player at safety and was the face of the emergence of a program that hadn't done anything since Steve Spurrier coached it. And if you look at the butterfly effect of what, what might have happened when Kristen Bryant's ankle exploded against Wisconsin in 2013 mm-hmm. and the Ohio State secondary was trash for the rest of the year, exposed by everybody um including michigan 42 to 41 in, in michigan state in the big 10 championship game and then you know the, the, the orange bowl with clemson jeremy cash could have been on that team jeremy cash <laughs> was pretty good then um right. it might be a completely different i mean we don't, you think of it 2013 has a different prism when you look at it historically because of what happened the following year but imagine if jeremy cash had been on that team playing safety you're not the pittsburgh brown experiment does not happen Pittsburgh Brown oh, was in out, out of necessity. And, and that was uh, he, the thing I was thinking about with Pitt, Pitt Brown, and, and I'm sure he's I, I got another guy I don't know. But when, you, when you're playing Super Tech Mobile and you, you call the right play and the defense calls the wrong play <laughs> and, the, and the computer's play, players just run around in a circle at the bottom of the screen not covering anybody, that's Pitt Brown, man. Yeah, it was. Demario O'Neill was the same way. I don't want to bash all these safeties, but that, that's, if, if, you're, if you're playing chess, that's who you attack, and that's what everyone did. Yeah, I well, just I, I, go ahead, right? Go ahead, John. Well, one of the things I mean, I just you look at all those names and you're like, the line between being an Ohio State hero and like out of the program is so unbelievably thin. And it's like it, it's literally the difference between an ill timed injury or you know, just something dumb happens or something like that. But it, it's crazy that everything hinges sometimes on just like one or two incidents or one or two players. And then it, it completely changes the tenor of the team that they were on. Like, I just think that blows my mind how something that is micromanaged to death, like a college football team can just be completely changed by one tiny little incident like that. What if Sean Springs doesn't slip in the third quarter in 1996 covering high streets? <laughs> yeah. I mean, serious. and like, and just, you know, random things that happen to players and the, and the fact that, that it has this cascading effect on their careers overall. I mean, it's just, you know, like Noah Spence was a guy who I had pegged for, you know, first team all American, all that kind of stuff. And, 
you know, it just doesn't work out that way. And I don't know. I, I mean, I, I'm really glad that he's having the success that he's having now because it just feels like you're getting back something that was deservedly theirs to begin with. Yeah. I tell you, and, when, and you, the, when you do something like this, what you also realize is for these guys, like how, how quickly, like when they have an opportunity to go and make money to go, is, I mean, this, not, none of these were injuries, but these are all just crazy things that happen. Like if you, anytime somebody from the South tells me, oh yeah, you knew you're going to get Urban Meyer. I said, I always tell them a year before Jim Trestle could have been elected governor of Ohio. No one thought he was going to be fired for right. God's sakes. No one was going to fire Jim Trestle for what? Like he was unfireable. Um, and, and you think about how that, what that all led to. And um, the, so yeah, these, these moments of, of things that can happen. I mean, you think about a guy like Braxton Miller who was what he was and then finishes his career as like this weird, like slot receiver that they just kept forcing plays for, you know, out of probably obligation. I mean, there's so many of those things. Um, and, and you, I think you just did a masterful job of, of finding ones that, that certainly got me thinking. And, and I appreciate the writing. Um, I'll, I'll get you out of here on this one. Cause I know you, you've got a conglomerate to run and you've got about a billion other things that you got to do. Um, <laughs> you and I probably get this question more than anybody else I know. And that is, I'm just getting into bourbon. What bottle should I buy? And for me, it's the trickiest question in the world because in Ohio, there's no Buffalo Trace product. So what is your go-to that you tell people? If you, if you, if, if you just want to start drinking whiskey, what, what do you tell them? Because I, I, I usually say, find something from Buffalo Trace. It's always done me right. Well, I get that question a lot. And I actually wrote uh, an edition of The Situational about it um, a couple of years ago as a guide. And so I did that out of selfishness because when someone asks me on Twitter saying, Hey, what, what bourbon should I, what bourbon should I buy? I don't know what your palate's like. It's right. Bourbon is a very personal thing. The, the reason that the whole philosophy behind the situational is that um, not only do you have unique taste, but the situation that you're in justifies a specific bourbon. For example, you're not going to bring Pappy Van Winkle 23 to your, fourth grade daughter's soccer game. It's not, it's not appropriate. <laughs> no, um, it's not appropriate. That's, that, that, that's a celebratory, historic, sentinel event type of bourbon. Yeah. Um, when, when, when I wrote, and if, if you want to look it up, kids listening, it's, it's Google the situational first world problems. It's basically okay, a so guide. Perfect. You don't buy one, you buy three. Yeah. Because you need to find out what kind of mash bill is is the kind of whiskey that your, your palate uh, Lights and I'm going from memory. You basically, if you don't buy one bourbon, you buy three. Buy buy a bottle of Basil Hayden's, one of Maker's Mark, and one of Wild Turkey. Those are all three cheap bourbons. Uh, they're worthy. They're on the first shelf. They're available in every gas station. I don't know about Ohio, where I haven't looked for a while, but buy those three. And the reason that you buy those three is because uh, Basil is very light and mild. It's got a low proof. I, I almost prescribed it for a sore throat. It's got a lot of rye in it. Okay, so if you like basil, you're going to like rye, heavy bourbons, and then you can start to shop by how much rye is in, in a mash bill. Every, every bourbon at 51% corn is aged in charred English oak barrels, and the other 49% will give each uh, different bourbon its own character. Makers is 90 proof, has like no rye. So if you like Makers, you know, it's weeded. That's, you're going after weeded bourbons. And if turkey is very strong, um, it's, the, it's the mildest high-proof bourbon you can get. Um, if you like turkey, it's that's rye and malted barley. Start to pursue those mash bills. So really, it's a choose your own adventure. Start with those three because that's basically the the way I would divide oh, bourbon varieties into, and decide which one you like the best, and then ride that horse. 
Why in the blue hell have I can't believe I missed that column? I mean, I just oh, no. can't believe I'll, I missed I'll, link, it. I'll link it in the post. It'll that would have saved me the amount of time that that would have saved me in the last two years, Rams. I mean, my God. I mean, I get it all the time. You're probably the only person who gets it more. I get it all. People call into the radio show, ask, what do you, I mean, it's like, and in Ohio, it's just pure hell because our, our liquor people got in a fight with the Buffalo Trace people so that like there's no Buffalo Trace on the shelves in Ohio. I mean, it's hardly any. So it's just, it's been a, it's been a brutal year here. So I, now that that's out there, uh, I'll, we, we could, we'll link it and I'll, and I'll make sure that that's always saved so that I can just tweet that link and say, follow this. This is the way to do that. This. Uh, that, that edition aged pretty well because it was, let me pull up the, the date, it was April 22nd, 2015. So the Buckeyes are coming off a national title. Yep. And it's, I, I went out of my way to, to predict how Ohio State was going to use its quarterbacks with Braxton Miller returning and both Barrett and Cardell Jones there. I'm not going to blow it on the podcast, but not only is there a bourbon guy in there, the rare opportunity for me to look good in hindsight um, with, with what Ohio State should have done with their quarterbacks. Boy, I love when you get an opportunity to do that, buddy. Hey, listen, appreciate your time uh, and, and always appreciate your writing. And uh, it's cool having you on, buddy. Appreciate it. Yeah, thanks, thanks man. Guys. All right, let's finish this up. Um, you saw the ESPN layoffs that happened on Wednesday. Um, this is the second uh, run of layoffs they've done. The first ones were mostly behind the scenes people, um, so it didn't make quite the noise this one did this one was uh was some big heavy hitters whether it was yeah. uh jason stark or ed werder or jay crawford um a ton of sports center anchors and insiders they basically got rid of their entire nhl team i mean they basically are not <laughs> going to do any nhl it appears they're not moving on. Breaking it down. <laughs> i mean it's unbelievable they're just not yeah. going to do it they're like the hell with it we're, we're just right. not going to have an nhl it's not we don't have the rights um so we're not going to do it um so a couple things on this just from being in the business as long as I was and um, having spoken with ESPN about employment about three years ago and, and deciding it wasn't a fit for me at that time, actually maybe four years ago. Um, so here's, here's the deal that you will hear a lot about that. This is about politics or that they've taken a social thing and, and there, this is a reaction to that. No, that, that, that's really not it. Especially when you consider that the people they kept were some of their most uh, socially active uh, and, uh, opinionated people most of those people stayed uh the people who left were journalists uh yeah. far and away these were most of the people who left were journalists um in the old-fashioned sense of really good writers and really good storytellers and broadcaster um the reason that they did this is because of cord cutting uh is the big part of it um espn was like a drug addict that wanted to keep getting high and high and high and eventually you run out of high and now all of a sudden more and more people aren't subscribing to cable and that number's going backwards. And so then uh, when, when your entire model is based on cable buy, you lose hundreds of millions of dollars uh, that way. So they had to make cuts and they chose um, opinionated people over storytellers and journalists. And, and that's fine. That's, that's certainly their prerogative. Here's the thing that the, the reason Johnny, that this will be something that reverberates uh, into your local markets, wherever you're listening to or into your regional markets. The people who worked at ESPN have this thing on their resume that says ESPN. Yeah. And, and what that does is that gets you hired anywhere you want to go. Yeah. So if Jay Crawford, let's say, as we all know, is an Ohio State guy, he's a big time Cleveland sports fan. If Jay Crawford wants to come do uh, Cavs pregame or he wants to do Indians pregame or if he wants to do play by play for the Indians or Cavs or whatever, uh, he can make it happen. And whoever has that job will be shown out the door. 
if if some of these people want to move back into local markets, like let's say one of these people was from from Channel Ten or or one of these people was from Columbus, and they wanted to go be on the air at Channel Ten, Channel Ten would hire them, and they would get rid of somebody to make them to, to make room for them. Um, this will reverberate for years, um, and this will these people will find employment, um, but the people they replace will find it harder to find to find employment, and and the the big lesson of this is. As, as sites like Bartstool Sports or, or certainly the one that we're currently doing a podcast for, um, there's a new way of doing media and it's been going on for a while. And the, the television model was too slow to react to it. Yeah. And they've, they've overbid on rights fees and, and they, the money's just not there anymore. And they're scrambling. And a lot of good people, um, you know, especially the behind the scenes people, it'll be harder for them, um, you know, are, are unemployed, but they will find employment. Um, but the people that their next job, those people will be unemployed and it'll be harder for them. Um, so this was a, this is a tough day for the industry. One that I was in for, gosh almighty, I get into when I was 19 years old and I did it for, you know, I did it as primary income for 18 years. So right. that, that was, that's, that's, it was, this was a, this is a sobering day because I know what, what happens next in this thing. Right. Well, and that's, that was my entire argument with everything. Like I, I don't necessarily begrudge. ESPN for trying to make moves and, and, you know, cut costs and things like that. But really, this is something that I feel that they should have anticipated a long time ago. And I don't think they have a plan for what comes next. And I, look, we had this argument on Slack. We were talking about it amongst ourselves, you know, like ESPN's, you know, some people are saying like ESPN's going to try to become more agile and, and figure out what they're going to do. I don't think they have a plan. I think this is a plan designed to placate their shareholders to say we're doing something. Yeah. Uh, we're not netting the profits that we need to. But to me, it's it's a it's a losing game. Like you can fire whoever you want. You can, you know, give Mike Greenberg, you know, a, a big morning show. You can do all this other stuff. But ultimately, it doesn't change the fact that the metrics of sports on television have fundamentally changed. You have to offer people something different, something what you you know haven't shown them before if you want them to come back. And I don't think they are. I, I mean, you could, I don't even know what you can offer them to change the fact that people are cord cutting, that they're doing different things with how they consume sports. And the thing you said about like overbidding, I mean, some of these contracts are absolutely insane. And yeah. Yeah. And one of the points that I saw made, I think might've been on Deadspin. I was like, look, how many people can you fire that would amount to like even like 15 minutes of airtime on, you know, a Monday night football game? You know what I mean? Like it's it, the, the equation does not work out of yeah. fired people versus the amount of money that you're paying to broadcast an NFL game or a NBA game that I think is like a $3 billion contract or something insane. Oh, the right? NBA one's the big one. Right. Because there's and, like and four teams that matter. That's why they spent all year talking about Westbrook and Harden because yeah. they were trying to create interest in other teams other than the Cavs and the Warriors. Right. And I don't know, I don't know that there's a solution to that. I, I don't know that with the way they have their, you know, their program structured and the way that they have been paying for things that they can rectify their current model. They, they should have been starting on this a decade ago. And I don't think that they have a solution in 2017 either, because it just feels like they're trying to keep convincing the people who are investing money in them that they can continue doing what they're doing. And I, I just don't think it works out that way anymore. I think they have to have a fundamental shift in how they broadcast sports television. And it's, it's, I don't think you're going to see, I don't think this is the only day like this that you're going to see. I think this is going to be coming in waves, and this is just the first one of it. Yeah, and they're not alone, because if you, if you think that they don't know what they're doing, 
understand that they get it better as good as anybody in that business. Yeah. Fox Sports Net, or whatever the hell it's called, Fox Sports Live, and they pay Skip Bayless four and a half million dollars right. a year for a hundred thousand viewers. <laughs> okay. A hundred thousand well, viewers. I, look, I mean it's, I could go on a huge rant about this. I no, I, no but it but it is. They've they've chosen to do this, to go down this yes. punditry road with sports exactly. and treat sports like politics. And there was a time, it was all based on PTI. That's how this whole thing got started in sports was PTI. But here's the thing about PTI. And for all of the success that First Take had when Skip and Stephen A were still on it, it still got annihilated by PTI in the ratings. It wasn't even close. I mean, they would do five, 500,000 would be their, their viewership on, on First Take. And, and PTI would be over a million in most cases. And you know, years ago, you know, million and a half too. Um, but the reason that PTI worked is because Mike and Tony knew each other and genuinely liked each other. There was a chemistry to it. It right. wasn't just two guys yelling. And and what it what is it devolved to what ESPN and now Fox Sports, that's all that is. Fox Sports One, that's all it is now. It's yeah. Cowherd and Whitlock at night and it's Skip and, and Shannon in the morning. I don't watch any of it and I don't know anybody that does. <laughs> um so that's scary. And I always said that about local news. I, I always the, the, the one thing that was so sobering to me about local news is um, when you're in it, you feel like you're doing the most important thing in the world, right? Because you're doing live television, you're delivering the news. And then you, the most sobering thing is when you start to ask your friends if they watch the local news and they say no. You say, well, who is? Who the hell is watching the local news? And I'd see the ratings. And I know people were. They skewed very old. Young yeah. people didn't watch the local news. Your friends don't watch the local news. And the same thing has happened with um, you know, with, with the sports model, the, this stuff just is not being consumed anymore. And we're in an on-demand audio, on-demand video world right now. And people just aren't doing it. I mean, people still want to watch live games and that's not going to change, but they overpaid for all that stuff. And I'm telling you, this is going to, you will see it. I mean, you may have a favorite broadcaster. Um, I mean, Crawford will be interesting. I have no idea if he wants to move back to Ohio. I know he's from here. He's in Tampa before he was in in Bristol and uh, New York before that. And obviously financially, I would assume he's fine. Um, but if Jay Crawford wants to come back to Ohio and do sports television, he, someone's going to get fired because yeah. they're going to hire him in second. Right. Um, and there will be a place he lands uh, somewhere in Ohio if he wants to. I don't know if he wants to, uh, but the person he, he pushes out will have a hard time getting a job because those jobs are, are going away. Well, and that's my point. Like a, a smaller news outlet, I think can still rely on the personality, you know, to to help bump them in the ratings or maybe to give them some kind of push or whatever. But the bigger you get, I think the less the name matters. I mean, a guy like Skip Bayless, you know, pe- God, I don't know how many freaking ads I saw for a stupid show or you know how much money Fox Sports One threw at him. But that's not why people consume news at that level. They don't care about the name they care about how it's facilitated and like sports center and and all the other things that they do like i think they made the mistake of thinking that and i and to be fair i think their anchors kind of played into this but the personalities that espn cultivates they made the mistake of thinking that people are turning in or tuning in because of those personalities like i think that's a great side thing i mean like you know Stuart scott all these other guys like i love that growing up like that was so much fun but I would yeah, have watched it regardless, right? Yeah, you because can see why it happened. I mean, some of that is the paradigm. Some of it is 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 when I was a kid, and I'm you know quite a bit older than you. But like when I was a kid, the only way that you would know who won the game was Sports Center, right? And that's the other that's thing, it. exactly. I mean, if, so yeah, it's not relevant anymore because we, we. If I want to know, I mean, 
if I want to know the Indians game while I'm doing a podcast, I click on my phone and the Indians score pops up. I, right. I don't need to wait till 11 o'clock. Um, and then the other thing that happened was Oberman and, and Dan Patrick. I mean, that's, that's that they're, what they did with sports center and then Kilborn and some of those guys later who did the, the crazy feel good edition uh, in the nineties that said, Oh, this is what we do. Yeah. It's personality driven. That's what we do. Um, and it's, it's very much like cable news. Um, and that's why they follow this model is, is because cable news proved that if you have somebody with a very strong opinion, you can make a lot of money. Um, and so that's, that's what ESPN tried to do. They tried to follow the Fox news, you know, MSNBC strong opinion, uh, move and, and they tried doing it in sports. And now I, I don't think they have a clue to, to when you're, when you're saying what goes next, nobody in that business knows what's next. Right. There's nobody who knows. Um, you know, they, they see sites like 11 warriors nationally. They see sites like barstool who just are blown up, just blown up in the last two or three years. Um, and they say, wow, there's, they're doing something. What can we do that? Are we, you know, how do we do that? Um, and I'm sure in the, I know in the Columbus market, there are people going, God, how can we do what 11 warriors is doing? How do we do that? Well, the thing is 11, you guys, but this is the only way you know how. Right. Um, uh, but it's going to be a fascinating move. And, um, uh, but, but this, the, the last two layoffs at ESPN will, are going to, are going to be felt for a very long time regionally, locally. And if you see some of those guys popping up, um, and you say, Oh, Hey, I remember you should remember him from sports center. Just remember the guy that he replaced, uh, is, is out of work and going to have a hard time finding work. Um, and these are first world problems. These are, these are fun jobs and, and they're great jobs to have. But, uh, the reality of these is, in many cases, you move your family all over the country, and and it's tough. It's it's a tough business on the whims of of people who um who can who can change the course of your life by by snapping a finger. And yeah. uh, the fallout for this one's going to go for a long ways. Yeah, and that's. I mean, I think what we're kind of witnessing is just a fundamental shift in how people consume sports. And when you've got an entrenched, you know, the worldwide leader, when you've got something entrenched like that for the past thirty, forty years, I mean, it's. It gets intense, and and they don't deal with like you know analogy that Kyle made on Slack today was like, look, like you've got this gigantic cruise liner, it doesn't turn on a dime, you know. And sometimes, sometimes the way people consume sports does turn on a dime, and it's hard to adjust to that trajectory. Yeah, so. it is, my friend. All right, buddy, I think we had a lot going on there, so uh, good show. And next week we'll do a little NFL draft recap. Uh, yeah. Maybe we will. Maybe we will rate. Let's do this. Let's rate. Who ended up in the best situation, best to worst? That sounds good. And let's also like gawk at whatever horrible car crash that the uh, the Cleveland Browns decided to do with their. First God, game. I hope they get it right. <laughs> God, I hope they get it right. And we'll do both. All right, that buddy. Good chat. Fun. Yeah, that was good. We'll get to ask us anything next week. Sorry yeah. about the delay on that, but we'll we'll definitely take care of that. And I'll talk to you next week. All right, see you, buddy. Sounds good.